0: to welcome everybody for the next episode of The Matter of Perspective, a geopolitical podcast of the Nub Institute. My name is Anton Benderzewski, I'm director of research at the Nub Institute, and I would like to welcome our guests for today's topic, Gergely Who is a senior research fellow at Institute of Foreign Affairs and Trade and head of Department of Chinese Studies of Pazman Peter Catholic University. Then we have on board Eniko Bagoy, who is a research fellow at the Nobel Institute, and Tamás Orbán, who is also a research fellow at the Nobel Institute. And um, our current episode's topic is the relations of uh, United States and China from the prism of uh, European Union and uh, the change of allies system, the global allies system of uh, United. United States. Um, well, initially there was a deal, uh, the so-called AUKUS deal, which was uh, signed in September and which uh, caused a big surprise internationally when uh, Australia, which initially wanted to purchase French submarines, they probably, through American pressure, changed their mind and um, decided to, to buy American nuclear power submarines. And on the same time, our hypothesis from the Institute, we see that the world order, the focus of United States is changing from Middle East, from Europe, it's changing to the Indo-Pacific region. And China is becoming the number one enemy or number one focus point of uh, United States. So our question here today: what does it mean for Europe? What does it mean for Central Europe? What can we see based on all this ongoing tensions uh, in the next years so my first question goes to gerge basically today as of 2021 is china really the number one enemy of united states
1: well i wouldn't call it an enemy and first of all thanks for having me and hi to everyone uh, and it's uh, officially not called an enemy it's, it's called a rival or a systemic rival or a systemic competitor or something like that but uh we are still Not at the point uh, where uh, China is called an enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course. (laughs) And uh, I think that uh, deep in the mind of some people in Washington, uh, China is actually an enemy, but they don't uh, say it uh, openly. Uh, I believe that uh, yes, we can say that China is the number one rival of the United States. If you compare their economic performance, if you uh, uh, take a look at their global Ambitions, uh, what they are doing in the world, uh, we can say that uh, China is acting as a challenger to the United States and as a challenger f- uh, for the uh, the world order dominated by the United States.
0: But is it also a perception coming from China itself, or it's something the narrative of uh, of the Western uh, countries?
1: I think the whole. Uh, narrative comes from the West. Uh, China has uh, quite uh, different uh, thinking. Uh, the Chinese leaders, of course, they also uh, think in terms of power, and they want uh, international influence, they want uh, international power, and, and they want to uh, f- end the unilateral moment uh, when the United States dominated the whole uh, world system. So. It is actually uh, trying to be a challenger, but I think the way it builds its influence and the way uh, it behaves is quite uh, different uh, from the traditional uh, Western ways of building power and building influence.
0: Tahansh, would you like to, to comment on that?
1: Maybe from US perspective?
0: Well, most certainly, yes, I agree.
2: China is the most important rival right now but it's also important to note that what we see today is not replaying of the Cold War scenario exactly, because this is not the emergence of a bipolar (coughs) world, what we saw in the 40s, 50s, but rather a uh, wide dispersation of power and there are multiple different actors uh, playing. Yes, power shifts towards the east but also towards the south and uh, we see a a lot of uh, new regional power uh sort of challenging but also contributing to the american hegemony but right now yes china is the most important power which is trying to take the initiative and sort of um organize a uh, counter global hegemony
0: against the united states well without going into yet into details of the AUKUS deal and what it means for Europe. Eniko, could you comment on China? Is it seen as a threat from Europe's perspective? What does it mean for European countries?
3: First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I think from Europe's perspective, uh, there are two ways ahead of uh, the EU. First of all, the EU has to uh, decide whether accept or act. I mean, uh, whether accept the emerging world order or uh, actively take participation in forming or shaping like a policy shaper in this competition between the US and China. I would say uh, the European Union uh, formed its uh, foreign policy toward China not as hostile as for example the US. I would say that uh, from Europe's perspective China is also an economic co cooperational field so Europe cannot afford to itself to uh, behave as a, a hostile, I would say, partner of the United States and the second thing is uh, the European Union's uh, foreign, foreign relationship is always framed by the US position. Besides, the European Union should somehow define its own foreign policy in line with the US position. But uh, anyway, uh, um, I would say it's not a question of feeling.
0: Okay, Uh, well, in that in mind, I would suggest going into analyzing maybe the last year of uh, Joe Biden. And this is a place of advertisement. Last uh, week, we had another episode directly focusing on uh, one year's presidency of of Joe Biden. But um, in this episode, we would rather focus on his foreign policy towards China, As we've seen previously during the presidency of Donald Trump, he was pretty hostile towards China. And, uh, well, basically the conflict between the two countries started during Donald Trump. Uh, The trade wars, uh, American sanctions, uh, it was done during the presidency uh, of of Donald Trump. In comparison to those years of the administration of Donald Trump, what can we see now in U.S. policy? Is it even more hostile or, uh, I mean, the United States made some steps back
1: in this regard? I don't think that uh, U.S.-China relations are decided or determined by the leaders. Uh, They are much more structural. There are structural uh, differences and structural contradictions between the countries. So all the conflict that we see uh, comes from the very fact that the uh, US is a, a declining power in relative terms, of course, and China is an emerging power. And what the leaders do and what they say is uh, just uh, just a surface of uh, what uh, what is go- what goes on um, in the world. Uh, Actually, this whole process of uh, the deteriorating of uh, the relations between China and U.S. started with the Obama administration. Of course, Trump was much louder than Obama, but uh, actually, the pivot to asia pilot to the pacific and uh, asian rebalancing policy was started by the obama administration and uh, trump uh, was doing the same just uh, doing it much louder and in a different style and i think uh, biden is, is continuing what trump has done and what uh, obama has done uh, it's just the style that is uh, different and i think what is uh, really uh, different here is that uh, donald trump started his uh, rule uh, by uh, getting into conflict with all uh, america's allies it had uh, a very uh, deep uh, debates with japan with south korea with the nato european allies And uh, after uh, hurting the feelings of all his allies and after humiliating them in many terms, then he tried to get uh, them uh, into his quest against uh, China and Of course, his allies were not very enthusiastic about that. Uh, Now, uh, Biden is trying to do the same. He tries to reshape its alliance, uh, reshape the the, um, American alliance system uh, uh, with a focus on China. Uh, But the style is very different, and he's not trying to alienate uh, its uh, uh, allies now. And uh, that uh, may be a much more successful uh, policy for uh, U.S. Uh, foreign affairs and, and 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 for the for the U.S.-led uh, uh, let's say world order. Well,
0: he- here's the thing. This is my statement.
1: Um,
0: I'm dealing with my focus is post-Soviet countries, so mostly I'm dealing with Russia, Ukraine, and so on. China is perceived as the main rival. Well, I won't call it enemy, but arrival of united states and uh, all the efforts or in foreign policy of united states goes in this direction at the same time in the last one year maybe I'm, I'm wrong and because i'm not dealing with china but maybe i'm wrong most of the messages coming from the media are connected hostile messages i mean connected to russia but not china we see an escalation on the borders of Ukraine, Russia, russia Ukraine, uh, elections in Russia, human rights in Russia, Navalny in Russia, whatever. And uh, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin had already five times spoken to each other, uh, three times by phone and two times, well, once personally and just on 7th of December they had a video chat. There were no talks with uh, Xi Jinping at the same time, between Biden and Xi Jinping. Why is that? Uh, this is the main rival. On the same time, very hostile messages coming about... Russia not about China and no talks no discussion between the two leaders. I hope I'm clear in. It. <laughs> uh, there was uh, yeah th- so there what? were some discussions but they haven't met pers- per- personally.
1: They, they haven't met personally but that's not because of the political situation that's because Xi Jinping is not traveling abroad. He hasn't been abroad for uh, almost 2 years now. Uh there are many guessings about the reasons for that. I think he just uh, wants to uh, show an example for his people that now, in this time of the pandemic, stay at home, so I won't travel either. But uh, they had some online meetings uh, with Biden. The last one was just like two or t- three uh, uh, weeks ago. So so they, they actually have uh, uh, some kind of personal uh, communication. Uh, but it is true that... Uh, the language is sometimes a little different uh, to what uh, China and Russia. It's quite easy to bash uh, Russia because the economic relations between the United States and Russia are very uh, minimal. So you can, uh, you can say anything about Russia without risking anything. But uh, uh, the economic relations between uh, China and the United States. Uh, are much uh, more uh, deeper, much more complicated. They they are on a much uh, larger scale. So American leaders have to be a little more careful when dealing uh, with China. But uh, anyway, I think that the the tone of talking about China is is still not very positive. Uh, And uh, if you... It's not, but
0: it's not overwhelming, like uh, in case of...
1: Well, I think that's uh, that, that. Also depends on the on, on the point of view of the spectator. Like you're dealing with Russia, so you you read uh, articles that uh, in which uh, the Americans are bashing Russia. I'm dealing with China, so I'm I'm reading articles in which the Americans <laughs> uh, bash uh, China. Uh, all in all, I think that China is the number one rival, and Russia maybe the number two rival. But maybe the language is much harsher toward uh, Russia. But as uh, Russia, uh, especially in economic terms, is much less of a threat uh, to the states uh, than and China, uh, the. The, 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 the American leaders still mostly focus on, on China in, in actual policy. Maybe they are not uh, talking so much about uh, China, can afford to use a much harsh, harsher language uh, about Russia, but still uh, the, the main focus of American foreign policy is China.
3: I would like to add that maybe we, we should uh, talk about the Anchorage meeting, I think it's the, we can say that it's a turning point in terms of uh, diplomatic relations and communications between uh, US and China. Uh, from Europe point of view, it's important because uh, China challenges the international order based on Western values. So it this is the turning point when, when the United States and the European Union, no regard with the AUKUS uh, thing or uh, with, uh, no regard to the economic policy of battles or fighting. So uh, this turning point uh, can may, maybe unite, will unite uh, European Union and the US. Uh, point of view regarding China, uh, because it appears uh, not only an economic and security conflict of interest between the two systems, I would say, uh, but the confrontation of world views between East and West. Uh, I, th- I think that it is r- really interesting that uh, Chinese activities openly challenging the Western mindset uh, of the rules-based international order comparing it to logic of the more equal animal from Orwell's animal farms. For, um, for me, it was uh, fascinating to uh, read about that, but uh, I think it was the turning point when uh, we should talk not about this uh, economic or foreign policy uh, point of view, but the security policy f- point of view also.
0: Tomash, maybe uh, just going back to the Biden's presidency, his approach to uh, to China, what do do you see in this regard well i i agree
2: to a certain degree what's been told before biden is in no position to to go back um to uh to another time in this regard and he really needs to keep up the kind of pressure trump sort of started but it's um, but yes there's a clear difference in style what you said but whereas uh, under president obama we we saw a very open multilateral approach then a very strict unilateral approach under trump now what i see is kind of a mixed um, style because, yes, what you said, he's reorganizing, reshaping the alliance systems, he's uh, strengthening the alliances in the Indo-Pacific, he's um, basically making the Anglosphere a more important actor in the uh, whole global uh, dynamics, and um, in the same time downplaying the role of the European allies, which is quite logical and um, a result of a process which has been happening for quite some time now. Also i i'd like to reflect on um what you said about these differences in language i think it works uh, vice versa both china and the u.s are playing kind of a cautious game i remember when AUKUS was announced uh, the very next day maybe you know um in the uh, global times which is china's foremost english uh, language publication there was an editorial which was uh, quite radically threatening australia it was saying that if any more escalations would go on it it would be australian troops who would bleed out the faster or something like that it was um it used a very radical language but it was specifically targeted towards canberra and not washington even though everybody knows that alcos is 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 not about australia in the long run, it's it's between China and the US, so I think you're right, nor America and nor Beijing can afford to have very radical rhetorics against each other, but they are in fact focusing on each other the most.
3: If I may add something, so uh, Tomás, you mentioned that AUKUS uh, was not, AUKUS is not about uh, US and uh, Europe, I would say AUKUS is without Europe. So, uh, I think we should mention that...
0: Oh, we will go on in this topic now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, let's, yes, let's let's do it. Uh, yes, basically, uh, we see that the AUKUS deal was signed between Australia, United States and Great Britain, none of which are members of European Union or connected to uh, mainland uh, European states. So, it... Pretty looks like that uh, Europe was left out from, uh, from, not just from the from the deal, but from the new shaping um, alliance system created by or being created by uh, United States. What will be the role of Europe in the next decades of this possible conflict between China and the United States?
1: Sorry, just a question. Do you know anything about the contents of the AUKUS deal, except for the submarine deal?
0: Well, the submarine deal, <laughs> as, as That's far as it. I, I
1: mean, there is no such thing as a public text or a contract that was signed, so we don't know much only the about statements. what is. But, but only the message, only I events. think,
3: what yeah, is matters in this... Uh, yeah. it,
2: it's yeah. a military cooperation designed to um, share resources and um, innovation.
1: So just just let's make it clear that we don't know much about what maybe, you know, I mean, anything. we have a political statement, but political statement communication is yeah. is, is another thing than the contract or the, the original document in its, itself. It's we don't know if there is such document and uh, of, and uh, we certainly don't know the content. Maybe you can share it.
0: some thoughts on that. What do you think? What's in the contract? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I have no idea, yeah. and I don't. Know, <laughs> I don't no, know if, if there mean, is su- such probably thing. Probably,
0: you have some um, some ideas what uh, what could be in there regarding the the cooperation between these states. I don't think
1: AUKUS is a game changer in mean, Australia and the United States. For France, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, that's that that's a message uh, for France, and that, that's a message for the European Union. But uh, besides that. Australia and the United States has been a military allies since the Second World War. And the same is true with the UK and America and the UK and Australia. So uh, it's uh, the, the deal is not something new that they are actually allies. And uh, from the Australian side, there are some domestic policy issues that... the the present quite weak uh, government took into account when allying with the United uh, States. I think uh, the message to Europe is is quite clear. Uh, Don't try to build your strategic uh, Independence as is as, as some leaders in the uh, european union in in recent years started to talk about uh, making europe a, a separate pole in a multipolar world, especially emmanuel macron who is uh, talking about uh, Europe uh, being a sovereign actor in global affairs. And uh, of course, if you talk about uh, independent EU as a poll, it, you, you can only understand it as, as an EU that is independent from the United States because it, it does not depend on anyone else. And uh, the AUKUS deal is, is quite a clear message to the EU that we, we don't like uh, you uh, have your own uh, Independent foreign policy because you're our military ally. Actually, uh, uh, Germany and some other countries are still uh, technically occupied uh, by American forces, so you don't uh, really have a room for maneuver in uh, this uh, question. And if you try to do as Emmanuel Macron uh, tried uh, to shape some common European uh, foreign policy, which is not uh, completely in line uh, with that of the United States. Then uh, we can, uh, we have the means to cause you some problems like uh, the, the, the submarine deal that uh, may cost a lot of jobs in, in, in France.
0: Interesting comment, but from my perspective, this might be the message, what you are saying from United States to Europe. But on the other hand, the effect could be quite the opposite because as we see it, well, we are here in the beautiful city of Budapest in the heart of Europe. Seeing it from, uh, from the heart of Europe, you can see that on one hand, the AUKUS deal was not discussed previously with uh, any European countries so they were left out completely not just from the deal but even from discussion or they were not informed and on the other hand as as you are saying uh, there is a clear message uh, regarding the military aspect of uh, of the deal. So, from from perspective of Europe, what should we do now? Probably, we should well, we should create our own um, uh, strong uh, uh, foreign policy with elements of military, uh, with the elements of creation own European military system, right? Or am I wrong?
3: Yes, I couldn't agree more. So, I think that uh, this kind of lack of coherence and cooperation and coordination. Uh, especially in the Indo-Pacific region, which was previously being blamed uh, on the EU, it's already na- now it uh, applies to NATO itself. So the consequences of the AUKUS, I think it's more, it, it, it will be more costly than a not-so-friendly message. Uh, I would say this uh, security pact was a really hard bill to swallow uh, for Europe. Uh, especially because it uh, ignored not all, uh, ignored and violated uh, the economic uh, and security strategic uh, interests of Europe, and I would say uh, especially France. And uh, one more thing to add. Uh, at the day uh, when the Ocus was released, uh, the EU's new Indo-Pacific strategy was also released. Uh, so it was in line with the uh, US requests, uh, but I would say it was a cooperational but not confrontational approach toward this region. Uh, so I would say the EU was willing to cooperate with the US uh, in terms of uh, more Uh, taking more stance on this area, but uh, somehow it turns out that uh, the US was willing to do somehow different from the EU's willing.
2: Yes, regardless of what the message was meant to be, I think uh, it can easily facilitate this tendency of of um, certain European politicians like Macron trying to build up um, European strategic autonomy. But an EU strategic autonomy is always a very tricky question because it, in order to build up something like that, you need much higher degrees of um, integration, which will undoubtedly create a lot of new tensions, if ever tried, inside, within the bloc course and also the eastern part of the eu central central european countries they um strategically speaking they are much more aligned with the u.s and um with the western half of nato which would also cause some problems and this is a very hypothetical take if ever um some kind of autonomous strategically speaking autonomous eu uh, foreign policy like gets created it would um it would split nato right into and then then we would have an anglosphere and an eu they would um their split within the nato would weaken both of their global positions i think the real message of um what the us was trying to convey through this uh, so-called blindsiding of france is that okay if you want to think about it think about it but um, this is the
0: way you are going to go and
2: it's 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 not a viable option
0: let me ask a straight question uh direct question well in the last years we see that united states basically lost its ground in syria and they are withdrawing now from afghanistan it already happened Uh, they are withdrawing from other uh, countries in the middle east now as we've seen Uh, On the meeting of uh, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin on 7th of December, they are discussing the questions of Ukraine and the role of uh, Ukraine in the NATO. Uh, Well, when Putin said that it's not acceptable for Russia that Ukraine should be a member of uh, NATO, Joe Biden said, uh, well, at least according to the statements, because it was not public. But uh, Joe Biden said that uh, he will discuss this question with uh, his allies in the NATO. So it looks like... Uh, U.S. is uh, sending, regarding the AUKUS deal, they're sending a message to Europe, and at the same time, they are discussing European matters behind the back of their European partners. Uh, So my straight question is, is uh, Europe not important for U.S. anymore? Is the Middle East not important for U.S. anymore? They want to concentrate all their efforts and energy for uh, China, for uh, the Indo-Pacific region.
2: Europe is u- losing ground economically, and the United States' most important economic partners are in the Indo-Pacific. And the region itself, Southeast Asia or East Asia, is producing, if I'm right, more than 50% of the uh, world's economy. And um, and is home to the some of the most important and most um, quickly advancing uh, new technological hubs. So, yes, it is it is way more important than than europe and um for the next couple of years at least i think this this dynamics will not change
3: okay i would like to add that uh, from europe point of view and i think from us and also china point of view there is economical interdependence so uh i would not say that for the us for example the european union doesn't matter because uh relying just some statistics uh, Washington remained the main export partner for the EU and the second largest import partner in the previous year. Uh, besides, I would like to add uh, China's role in uh, Europe uh, economic policy, uh, as China was the EU's biggest import partner and the third biggest Im- export market. And uh, the EU was China's largest trading partner in uh uh, this year. So I would like to add that in the EU strategy, uh, there is four dimensional approach to China in line with the US approach to China. So uh, it uh, we, sh- we should uh, take into consideration that uh, China uh, an economic competitor, as the US also economic competitor to the EU. And I would like to add one uh, really interesting point, uh, that uh, there was an a- uh, attempt to expand uh, the eu Beijing uh, economic relations in this year, uh, when the parties agreed to sign a bi- bilateral trade agreement, I mean the Comprehensive Agreement on uh, Investment, however, uh, due to the intervention to the United States. The agreement is not expected to be finalized in the near future. So basically, uh, the US uh, tries to somehow accelerate uh, its foreign policy and economic policy interests toward Europe and toward China. So it it may be some kind of intervention to Europe, uh, foreign policy uh, intentions, maybe.
0: To- to stick to our uh, time frame let me ask my last question and of course uh, in in these talks uh, regarding the china us relations and the new light system created in the indo-pacific region we cannot leave out taiwan we also seen some escalation in regards to to taiwan in the last years uh, not only in statements but from military point of view uh, china made many um, military trainings and there was also clear messages to Taiwan that they should give up the the policy of independence uh, what do you think may Taiwan become the first flashpoint of conflict between United States and China, and if China really wants to occupy Taiwan or return Taiwan, depending what kind of side do you follow, what will be the re- reaction of the United States? Is United States willing to support military the Taiwan? I, I know it's a hard question, but
1: yeah, that's a hard question, and uh, this is a hard question inten- intentionally because. There is a a law uh, in the United States called the Taiwan Relations Act uh, from 1979 that is still in force uh, today. And uh, it uses language about uh, defending uh, Taiwan, uh, which is not very clear. Uh, This is a typical uh, example of of something that is called a strategic ambiguity. that uh, nobody knows if uh, the US would uh, interfere in the case uh, of uh, China invading Taiwan. But it must be it may be clear that uh, everybody seems to be very uh, pro-Taiwan uh, these days, but uh, none of the Western countries actually uh, recognize the Republic of China as an independent state. So uh diplomatically we all uh, recognize the uh, people's republic of china and uh, including the united states the united states does not recognize the...
0: one european country lithuania i think they no uh, no, still... no no
1: no 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 they don't they don't actually one european country the vatican is uh, uh is the only one in europe that is uh, uh recognizing the, uh, uh, the Republic of China, uh, Taiwan, Lithuania, just uh, from this year. an embassy, no? Or no, 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 it's, it's not a real embassy. It's a <laughs> representative office. We have a representative have office a representative in Budapest. and year, all, 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 maybe, Most of the European countries actually have. the. What, what differentiates uh, Lithuania's case is that it's called a Taiwan representative office and not a Taipei representative office, which is a huge... Uh, blow uh, to the Chinese, but it's still uh, quite different from uh, diplomatic recognition. That's that, that's another uh, story. But
0: carefully, you avoided the topic of military intervention yeah. of uh, US in case of uh, China-Taiwan. Well, I, I didn't <laughs> avoid. I said that uh,
1: that's the US is using the tool of strategic ambiguity in that uh, sense. So that that's a, that's the intention of the US. That nobody knows how far uh, it would go to uh, defend. Uh, uh, China. I hope that uh, of course Taiwan. I hope that um, actually the the the, uh, the Taiwan policy and the stance of the People's Republic of China on Taiwan has not changed for more than 70 years now. It's just we talk about it much more because uh, we talk about China much more, but uh, China is not more aggressive now than 70 years ago. There has been a, a first Taiwan Strait crisis, there has been a second Taiwan Strait crisis, there has been a third Taiwan <laughs> Strait uh, crisis uh, with some uh, military drills uh, in the, in, in the uh, Taiwan Straits. And uh, today's situation is, of course, uh not uh, very uh, bright but uh, China has been doing the same and saying the same uh, since uh, 1949 so it has not uh, changed what what has changed is our attention
0: what is your personal take on that your personal bet let's say
1: well my, my personal bet is that the Chinese leaders are quite uh, wise they know that uh, they may uh, occupy Taiwan it would not be an easy task because Taiwan has been uh, preparing for uh, countering an occupation for more than 70 years now. It has a very strong army um, armed by the best and the newest uh, uh, American weapon system, but still uh, probably now, if it really wants to occupy Taiwan, uh, China could do that. But uh, Chinese Know that okay, we can occupy it, but after that, what we will do? We will have a population of uh, 23 million people who is very hostile towards its uh, new le- uh, leaders. We will have an economy uh, of Taiwan that is uh, that may not uh, work uh, because of the the uh, of of all the uh, all the consequences of the war. Uh, Taiwan, Taiwanese and Chinese economy is also uh, uh, connected uh, very closely. So if if the Taiwanese economy falls because of the war, then that uh, may hurt the Chinese economy as well. So they have a lot of problems. It it would not be uh, very wise uh, to occupy uh, Taiwan. Just take a look at Xinjiang or Tibet. uh, they, they are much less populated areas than Taiwan, they are much less developed, they don't have the concept of uh, human rights in a Western uh, sense, They the people there uh, has not been Americanized in a way that Taiwan has been for uh, decades now, and still... Uh, China has uh, problems in controlling Xinjiang and the Uyghur people, and it still has uh, problems in Tibet. Uh, Taiwan uh, would be a Xinjiang question on steroids. So I, I think that uh, be- Beijing leaders uh, will be wise enough not to try to occupy a Taiwan militarily. Uh, actually, it is their interest... Uh, at least in the middle round to, to um, remain, the, to, the, the status quo to remain. remain.
0: Tomás, what, what do you think? Will Taiwan be a stress test for new American well, or I think old American alliance system in the Indo-Pacific?
2: No, I agree with what was said before, it's not it's not in the interest at this moment, as of yet, of Beijing to invade Taiwan. Well,
0: global players are not always <clears throat> rational.
2: Not always rational, right? So we may see some pretty fireworks the next couple of years but i don't think that's the case i think uh, their interest is keeping up the pressure using taiwan and uh, the continuous uh, crisis as sort of leverage and forcing the u.s into uh, staying in this um, arms race and strategic race while also i can imagine that the situation changes so hypothetically if if there would be an invasion your question was if america would um, intervene or not i think it's unlikely as of now first of all because biden has a very low popularity the american public is increasingly against interventions but there's one very important thing to note in relation to taiwan which is um, microtransistors chips basically there is already a chip shortage in the world and um, taiwan is producing Almost half of all the chips that's being used by American companies. And that could become an issue in the future. So that could be just maybe one factor, and um, which could maybe, in combination with others, make the US intervene in this hypothetical situation. And also, we might need to note that this current administration, especially the Foreign Office, in their rhetorics is starting to be a bit more aggressive you mentioned the uh, video chat with uh, president putin and according to the sources to the media sources uh the national security advisor told putin that america is uh, prepared to do what they didn't do in uh, statements. 20, 2014 statements. statements yes but um, i think the winds are changing and we're slowly but stepping up into a higher gear
0: any good, do you have any comments mm, yes, on
3: that? Yes, I think uh, from European point of view, uh, there is also uh, so the European Union is rather preferring cooperational, not a uh, confrontational approach, and it is true in this case also. Uh, moreover, the European Union Union is a uh, presence at the region uh, in a soft power uh, diplomacy, not by military. Uh, presence and uh, one more thing to add I think if I'm not mistaken the, U- the U- European Union is also uh, declared the one China uh, approach so I think here is nothing to talk about, to be honest.
0: With that conclusion, thank you very much for being here. Once again, Anniku Bagoi, Gerge Shalat, and Thomas Orban. And this was this was the Metro Perspective Geopolitical Podcast of Danub Institute. Please follow us on any possible social channels and stay with us in the future. Thank you. <laughs>